chapter 22 this evening in Revelation. Uh, chapter 22, this will be sort of a part two to our emphasis this morning on the invitation from Jesus Christ. The invitation from Jesus Christ. So thankful to be together once again uh, this evening. Have this time to open up uh, God's Word and read uh, together. When you think about invitation, it implies that, that we as man, we are away from God in our sin. We are away from God. We need to come home to Him. Interesting, interesting verse in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 20 says that there is not a righteous man on earth who does good. It's kind of a dismal look at things, but still it's true. Without Christ, uh, we are nothing. As the Lord says in John 15, verse 5, He says, without me, uh, you are nothing. So we need this invitation. We need the invitation uh, from Jesus. Perhaps the word invitation sums up all the words of Jesus. If you were going to pick one word to sum up all the of what God has said to us in His Word. Perhaps invitation is the, is the word to choose because God invites us. He invites us to know Him, to know all about Him, to know about His love and His sacrifice and, and His plan and His Son and His home. He, he invites us to come and submit and obey and become a servant uh, to Him. When you go to your mailbox, probably, if you're like anybody else, sometimes your mailbox is just busting with items, but most of that in there is what we would call junk mail. Junk mail, not worth looking at very long, certainly worth uh, throwing away quickly. It's even worse with, with email, much worse uh, with email and text messages sometimes that come along. But the invitation from Jesus is certainly not anywhere close to junk mail. It's the most prized message uh, that we can receive. PBS song come to my mind on the way over uh, today. We sang it a long time ago. I believe Brother Earl uh, taught it to us. Uh, but it talks about God's banquet table. He invites us to his banquet table, and that's repeated in the song. And then it says, his banner over us is love. It's certainly true that God invites us to his banquet table. Let's use here in Revelation 22 and begin in verse 17 and notice uh, four major ideals about the invitation of our Lord. First, we want to notice a process, and then we want to notice his plan to extend the invitation. And then we want to notice the preparation a person must go through in order to receive the invitation. And finally, we want to close out with a prayer. Let's begin with a process. Notice verse 17. He says here in Revelation 22, Revelation 22 and verse 17, let him who is a thirst take of the water of life freely. This is the process. God's grace, man's faith. Let him who is a thirst take of the water of life freely. It's very reminiscent of 
of Isaiah 12 and verse 3 that is speaking to the day of the Messiah where the scripture says, with joy shall they draw water out of the wells of salvation. One of my all-time favorite verses in Isaiah. Isaiah 12 and verse 3, with, with joy shall they draw water out of the wells of salvation. That has God's grace all in it, but also it has a man's faith. Now the lesson to learn here is that, that salvation is free, but it's not cheap. Salvation is free, but it's not uh, cheap. In fact, there are three major things we can say quickly about uh, salvation. It is free, it is costly, and it is conditional. Okay? It is free, it is costly, and it is uh, conditional. We know that it is free. We know that it is free. Jesus refers, as he spoke at Jacob's well there in John 4, he spoke of the water of life, and he said, to the lady at Jacob's well, the Samaritan lady, he said, the water that I can give to you will become in you a well of water springing up unto eternal life. Romans 6, 23, we referred to it this morning. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is free. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you know pretty well. For by grace have you been saved uh, through faith. This not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man uh, should boast. And so, first thing we can say about salvation here in this process is that it is free. A man may work and gain wages, a man may compete, someone may compete and gain a prize. Someone can serve for a long time and get an award, a recognition award. Okay. But what if it's impossible? What if, what if it's impossible to work for something or to compete for something or to be recognized for something, yet you're still given a gift? Okay. That's called grace. That's what we're looking at with salvation. It's not something we work for. It's not something that we endure for a prize. It's not something that we compete for. Uh, rather, it is God's gift uh, to man. We remember that as the prodigal son in Jesus' story in Luke 15, as he came home, certainly the father treated him as if as if he had never left, but really more than that, he lavished his love upon him. He, he ran and greeted him, fell upon his neck, created a great feast for him. That's not something you do every day for your son. And he put shoes on him. And he created a great celebration in his behalf. Looking at Ephesians 1, verse 7, the Bible speaks of this tremendous uh, grace of God. It says, in Jesus Christ, there in Ephesians 1, verse 7, in Jesus Christ, we have our redemption through His blood. We have our redemption, okay, even the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of His grace that He has lavished upon us. I like this word that the English Standard Version uses here in Ephesians 1, verse 7. Notice the end of Ephesians 1, verse 7, which He lavishes upon us 
with all of his insight and wisdom. And that's what the father did with the prodigal son. He just lavished his love on him. And that's what, that's what salvation is. It, it is a free gift. It's a free gift. And so it's free, but it's also costly. And as you know, and you're thinking it right now in your heart, it costs the Father dearly for us to have salvation, for us to have the opportunity to salvation. It costs our Father dearly. Acts 20, verse 28, the Lord purchases us with His own blood. With His own blood. Look at the cost there. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, we are bought with a price. And then, doesn't say anything else about that because we know what that means. We have been bought with a price. The price of the blood of the cross. Definitely. Going back to Ephesians 1 verse 7. In Jesus, we have our redemption through His blood. Through His blood. Look at the cost there. Peter says in 1 Peter 1 in verse, in verse 19, we've not been redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Oh yes, salvation is costly. It is costly. And here's something to remember about love. Love that looks upward, you can call that worship. You can call that worship. Love that looks upward. Love that looks outward, you can call that affection. But love that stoops down, you call that grace. And that's what God has done for us. He has, he has come down. He has stooped down. Not just to our level, but He has sacrificed Himself in our behalf. He has stooped down. So certainly salvation is costly, but it's also conditional. It's also conditional. As Ephesians 2 said a moment ago in our, in our reading, grace comes through faith. This not of ourselves is to give to God. So what's the difference between works of earning and works of faith? Works of earning is when somebody says, well, through my good works, I'm going to get to heaven. Works are faith of faith is someone saying, because I love and respect God, I'm going to humbly submit to what He says to do. That's works of faith. Someone asked a denominational preacher one time, said, what must I do to be saved? And the, the denominational preacher responded and said, it's too late, it's already all been done at the cross. It's too late, it's already all been done at the cross. And how foolish of that preacher to say that. You know, our example is there in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2.37, they asked, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter did not say, Look, 50 days ago at the cross, it was all done for you. That's all you've got to do. I mean, it's all been done. You're way too late. That's not what Peter said. He said, Repent and be baptized. Of course, that's what he said. 
when the Lord appeared to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, recorded for us in Acts 9, Acts 22, Acts 26. But he, when he appeared to him, Saul asked, Who are you, Lord? And then he asked, according to Acts 22, 10, Acts 9, 5, and 6, he asked the Lord, What would you have me to do? And the Lord responded. The Lord did not say, Look, it's already been all done for you, Saul. No, the Lord said, Go on into the city, and it will be told you there what it is appointed for you to do. And we, we remember Ananias coming to him and saying, Why do you tarry, arise, and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord, uh, Acts 22 and 16. And Paul never did disavow. He didn't disavow what, what his experience was. He encouraged people to obey the Lord. He very well knew himself all about the free gift of God, but he always also encouraged obedience to the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, Paul will write that the Lord one day on that judgment day will render vengeance to those who know not God and those who do not obey the gospel. Galatians 5 and verse 7, he looked to the, to the Galatians and he said, you were running well. You were doing really well. Who did hinder you now from obeying the truth? Obeying the truth. And so, first of all, notice in the invitation, there is a process, and that process is God's grace and man's response, man's faith. Okay. Secondly, in the invitation here this evening, notice God's plan to extend the invitation. Notice verse 17, the beginning of verse 17, Re Revelation 22, the last page of your Bible, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say come. Let him who hears say come. Now the spirit of God invites, just as we read this morning and learned from Jesus, Matthew 11, 28 through 30, the Savior invites, God Himself invites, the Spirit in particular, in particular uh, invites through His inspiration of, of the speakers and writers of the New Testament, as Jesus said to the apostles in John 16, 13, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come upon you, He will guide you into all the truth. So in that sense, certainly the Spirit invites. But it says here, in 2217, that the Spirit and the Bride invite. And you remember the, the church-bride connection, I know. You remember the church-bride connection. Romans 7 verse 4 is one example where Paul said, you have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you should be joined to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, and that you should bring forth fruit unto God. There is the, the bride church. So when he says the spirit and the bride say come, uh, that spells out for us, of course, the mission of the church. Mission of the church. We are all to be saying, those of us who hear, those of us who do uh, consider ourselves members of the bride of Christ, we are to be saying come. Come. It's a partnership, isn't it? 
We're not surprised by that because we read in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 2, that we are laborers, we are workers together with God, so therefore we should not receive the grace of God in vain. I like what Paul says in Philippians 2 and 13. He says that God wants to work in you and through you. Now, sometimes we think in terms of God working for us, but we must grow to the point of thinking more in the terms of God working through us. Okay, and that's what God wants to do. That's, that's God's plan here, Revelation 22 and 17. When he says the spirit and the bride, God, God here's, here's a good saying to remember. God works for people through people. He works for people in the world through people who are filled with His Word. And God wants to do that with us. He wants to work uh, through us, you see. And so we must invite. We must invite. We must be like the, the Samaritan woman who went back to her village, John 4, and she said, Come see a man. Come see a man. Why can't we do that? Why can't we do that? Come, come sit down with me and let's learn about this man. This man. It's okay to call Jesus the man. Paul did in 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6. There's one mediator between man and God. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Come see a man who told me all things Told me all things I ever did. Why can't we say to people, come see a man who knows all things. He's, he's the best that there is. We need to be like those of John 1, like Andrew who went and got uh, Peter and brought him uh, to Jesus, like Philip who went and got Nathaniel and brought him to Jesus. We ourselves, we need to be part of God's plan. It is God's plan for us to be part of His plan. Acts 8 verse 4 is a tremendous, powerful verse where it just simply says, those who were scattered abroad, right there at the persecution of, during the time of Stephen's death, those who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching and teaching the Word. Okay. It's, it's not up to professionals. There are no professionals here. Okay. There are no professional people in the church, not in the Lord's church. All have the same desire for others to come to know uh, Jesus. So let's be, let's be working in that behalf. I handed this to, to Bertha there in the ladies' class Wednesday night about World Bible School. World Bible School. As of March the 14th, there were 3,141 students waiting for a teacher 3,141 students are waiting for a teacher right now. 1,184 of those are women. Usually it's better for women to serve other women who are looking uh, for the truth, who are looking for salvation. And so we're so appreciative that our brother Ken, just several weeks ago, was in contact with our brother Steve Gober, who came a couple of Sunday nights 
ago and made a very good presentation on World Bible School. And there is an opportunity right there for us to invite uh, folks to Jesus. Someone, I don't know who it was, but we have several of these little half index cards here. Simply got there a name and a blank, an address and a blank, and a mobile phone and a blank, and email and a blank. And we passed these around uh, a while back, saying that if you know of anyone, if you can think of anyone, think of anyone who is outside of Christ, whether it be a neighbor, a co-worker, family member, just in a, a stranger, just an acquaintance, whoever it is, you can take one of these yellow cards, write it down, and, and if you don't feel comfortable, give, us, give some of the rest of us an, a, a chance, an opportunity to uh, meet these folks and, and address, try to address their needs. Okay. Some have some of these laying back there uh, in the back. And then don't forget our pieces. I call them our pieces, okay? We have just a number of Bible study bookmarks, Bible study tracks, Bible study booklets laid around everywhere, and there's more of that than what you see. And all you have to do is just inquire. But that's another way of inviting someone uh, to Jesus Christ. So we see here in the invitation of Jesus, we see a process we see God's plan for extending the invitation. But thirdly, let's notice the preparation that needs to be existent. The preparation needs to be existent for someone to come uh, to Christ. Verse 17 again here in Revelation 22. Notice, he that is a thirst, whoever, whosoever is a thirst, let him come. Let him come. A person first must be thirsty before they'll come to Christ. They first must be thirsty. We touched on this this morning. How do you do that? One way is to appeal to someone's conscience. Everyone who's walking around has a conscience. That means they have a sense of right doing, but they also have a sense of wrongdoing. And we must, we must appeal to their conscience and ask them some questions about their lives, some way or another. Remember this morning, we mentioned the three C's. If someone's going to come to Christ, they first must be convicted of their sin. And then they must be convinced that Jesus is the Savior. And then they must be concerned about their soul enough to inquire what to do uh, to be saved. And this goes right along with, this is parallel to this idea of being thirsty. Being thirsty. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew 5 verse 6, Blessed are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Somehow or another, we must help. The gospel can help. We believe in the Word of God. The gospel can help. We must appeal to one's conscience. Going back to the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' words there in John 16, 17, and 8, He tells the apostles that when the Spirit comes upon them, that the Spirit will convict the world. It will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
And through the gospel, through the word of God, that can, that can still take place. It ought to be taking place. We must use the gospel to cut into the hearts and the consciences of people. Notice that when Jesus appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus, what was the first thing he said to him? Saul, Saul, what, Mike? There you go. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He goes right to his heart. Goes right to what he goes right to his sin. He goes right to his sin. Somehow or another, we got to follow the footsteps. Aaron's just leading us in the song before the lesson. The footsteps of Jesus. He would appeal to people, ask them about what they're doing with their lives. Appeal to their to their sins. What Peter did on the day of Pentecost. This Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. We must take the gospel and appeal to people's conscience. Notice that the Holy Spirit from John 16 says, He'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And so it doesn't hurt to ask someone, you know, if you died today, will you stand guilty if you're being Judge, if, you're, if your standard is the Word of God, okay, just mention a few things. Mention a few sins that people commit. If, you're, if you died today or if judgment was today, would you, stand, would you stand guilty before God? Would you go to heaven or to hell? What do you think? And just stand back and let them answer. Okay. Somehow or another, somehow or another, we've got to help people get prepared uh, to come to Christ. Turn with me quickly to Luke chapter 7. I love this little story that Jesus tells, but Simon the Pharisee is having trouble understanding why Jesus is reaching out to a sinful woman in the city. And if you look at Luke chapter 7, in verse 41, Jesus tells a story. Luke 7, 41 a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he counseled the debt of them both. Now, which of them will love him the more? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he counseled the larger debt. All right. Of course, that means that we are to be convicted of our sin. This means that the more we see the tragedy of sin in our lives, the more then we're going to love the Lord. Don't you see that? And so we need to use the Lord's pattern. We need to follow the Lord's way. and We need to bring the gospel, bring it to bear against the hearts and the consciences of people everywhere, even of our own selves first, certainly, and then of others as well. So please notice here in the invitation uh, this evening, notice the process. Salvation is free, but it's not cheap. Notice the plan of extending the invitation. And notice here the preparation involved. And finally notice with me the prayer. Of course, John is going to be praying in regard to all of this. Of course he is. And when you go back up and read from Revelation 22:12 downward, of course you're going to be praying. 
it clearly states that Jesus is Lord. Verse 12 and 13 says He's going to be our judge, right? He's going to be our judge. And then in these verses, as you come on down toward verses 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is pronounced as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Of course, He is the Lord. He is the Lord. Okay. He's pronounced here, I think it's verse 16 of Revelation 22, as the, um, as the root, as the root and offspring of David. Okay. This tremendously confused the Pharisees way back in Matthew 22, 43, when Jesus asked the Pharisees concerning a passage from the Old Testament. He said, he said how is it that the Messiah was going to be both David's son and David's Lord. Okay, they couldn't answer that. But that's what is being stated here when it says that Jesus is the root and offspring of David. Jesus is the root of David. In other words, He's the source of David's life. Okay. He's the Lord of David. He brought David into this world, but He's also the offspring of David. He's the son of of David. So this is the dual nature of Jesus here in Revelation 22:16. He is the offspring and the and the root of, of David. Okay, he's both son of God and son of man. Of course we're going to pray. Of course we're going to pray because Jesus is Lord. Of course. Now let's go down to John's prayer here in chapter 22 and notice how he prays as we bring our lesson to a close. Look at letting your eyes go glance down to the end of the chapter. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And then John responds, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. John is starting his prayer in a vertical way. And let me ask you, do you pray biblical prayers? Do you pray like John prayed here? Personally, John would love to be in the presence of the Lord right then and there. In other words, John fully expects to greet his Savior whenever that is to be. Just like when Stephen, we studied Stephen a couple of Wednesday nights ago. Just like Stephen. Okay. Just like Stephen. As he's being stoned, Acts 7 59, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. It's the same ideal here with John. We need to challenge ourselves to pray like this and look at ourselves and ask ourselves, Am I this sure about my salvation? Amen, even so come, Lord Jesus. And then the second part of his prayer is kind of a, a horizontal prayer. May the grace of our Lord be with you all. 
That's the way to pray. You pray vertically first to the Lord. Don't you want to be, don't you want to go to that land? Don't you want to be in His presence right now? I know it's hard. It's the same difficulty Paul has in Philippians 1. He says, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Okay. You have a great desire, I know you do, to just go to heaven right now. Wouldn't it be great if the Lord would come right now? But there's also a part of our heart that says, Lord, there's so many still away. Could you, could you hold off a while longer, Lord? There's so many still that, that we need to, to bring in, that need to come home to you. And so John prays, may the grace of the Lord be with you all. What grace does. Sum it up real fast. What we don't know, grace teaches. What we don't have, grace gives us. What we are not yet, grace creates. Take that and chew on it. God through His Word teaches us what we need to know. God through His Word and, His, and our Savior gives us what we don't have. And God through His Word and through His grace, He can make us what we're not yet able to be. The invitation of our Lord Mentioned so many places in Scripture, and these two places today, Matthew 11 and Revelation 22. Please come home to the Lord if you need to this evening. Let's all stand together and sing this good song.